0: you know, I'm starting my what if questions at the orphanage. But what if I started the question with my birth family and my birth right. mom, and I go actually further back, right. And I say, this is my parents situation, this is what they were in, whatever that would have been, what if from that point, then I start looking into the branches
1: Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the podcast. On today's episode, I am doing another Adoptee Podcast collaboration. Uh, This time, it's with Adoptee Meets World. Addison and Libby are the co-hosts, and in today's episode, we talk about a lot. We cover topics like the idea of blending in, especially when you're a child, you know, pre-high school, pre-even middle school, and... You know, you're at an age where you really want to blend in with your social circle, but maybe you're a little too young to really understand everything that's going on inside your head psychologically. Then we move on and talk about the role of parenting, which I know is something we have covered a lot on this podcast. But every adoptee's parenting situation is different, and because I have preached the importance of communication, which all starts with the parenting. I always like to just touch on how each adoptee feels their parents played a role in the overall development of the identity. Uh, We also talk about heritage trips or homeland trips. Both Addison and Libby have visited the country where they were adopted from since their adoption and I have not done that for myself so I always love hearing what that's like from other adoptees and what emotional or deep experiences they have while they're there you know the different things that come up the different questions all of that stuff we Also talk, obviously, about racism, uh, but specifically about, you know, the idea of real Asians versus not the, you know, Asians who have immigrant parents from Asian countries versus those who, like adoptees, like myself, like Addison and Libby, are maybe one or two or even three uh, degrees removed from the country we were adopted from. So we talk about a lot of good stuff and I really felt like I hit it off well with Addison and Libby when I listened back to edit this episode. I felt like we had a really good vibe going on and I hope you all can pick up on that and you know, I hope that it's palpable for you as well and that way it is hopefully equally as enjoyable. So let's get right to it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have joining us Addison and Libby from the Adoptee Meets World podcast. Addison is in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, She is a youth development specialist, used to be in the Peace Corps. And to keep saying in COVID, she started the Adoptee Meets World podcast and also got into jewelry making. We also have Libby on the show today, who is in Oregon right now. She works for BMW and has really long hours, so (laughs) hasn't really done anything else in terms of hobbies (laughs) for COVID because she's so busy. Thanks, you guys, uh, for being here, and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to to be doing this with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is great. Uh, So I like to start off by asking all of the people that come on my show, Why were you inspired to do so? What motivated you to come on? And why do you think talking about adoption is so important?
2: We're always really open to connecting with other adoptees, especially Um, not necessarily just from Asia, but I think that it really opened up another great opportunity to be able to get to know other adoptees, which can be really difficult, and um, share some conversation and experiences.
1: Addison, you're the founder of Mm -hmm. Adoptee Meets World. Can you talk a little bit about what your show is about and what you do?
2: Yeah, so on Adopting Me Meets World, we kind of do a combination of interview podcasts, but then there's also podcasts where it's just Libby and I. Um, The first few episodes are just me before Libby got on board as a co-host, but we like to just have conversation about maybe common themes adoptees are feeling. So maybe it could be relationships with their families or how we navigate. dealing with social media or how, I know what other podcasts, like working, dealing with this whole pandemic thing and then Mm -hmm. how there's all that intersectionality in there with being Asian American and the whole like Chinese virus, that issue. So we dive into that a little bit. Um, It's a little bit a mix of everything, but I think the main thing is for AMW, it's sharing the experiences that not only Laban and I have, but the experiences that other adoptees have in this world.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I mean, obviously, we're, we these are both adoption mm-hmm. founded podcasts. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely it opens up the a, a gate to talk about uniquely adoptee things. Um, so definitely totally relatable. Libby, what how did you come to find and work for uh, adoptee meets world?
0: Basically, Addy and I were part, like our families went to China to adopt babies. We were in the same group and our families used to do reunions with all of us together every single year. And Addy and I, I, well, I've always been closest to Addy out of the whole group. And we, you know, have talked over the years and about usually sometimes about adoption, usually just about life but uh, i was really excited when she wanted to start doing the podcast and and i was helped like listening to her and she did everything and then she asked me to be on it i thought it was really fun and then she asked me to help out more and co-host and i was like yes
1: and that's how that happened <laughs> okay and um you said that you were adopted like all together in a group that's mm-hmm. actually the same for me i was adopted with oh, okay. like a group of uh all the parents adopted together in, like, yeah. one room all at once. Yeah, we had um, that same, one mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, when and how old were you adopted?
2: So we were adopted in 1998. I, okay. Libby was the oldest of the group, and I okay. think I'm, like, the second oldest by a couple of weeks yeah. or something. We um, so were about 16 to 20 months. Okay. Right? Yeah, I was 20
1: months, yeah. yeah. And... Um, Do you feel like having that adoption group, uh, you know, your whole lives has made it easier to process being an adoptee or not? Well, I don't
0: think we, well, at least with me, I don't think... As a group, when we used to have these reunions, mm-hmm. we would ever really talk about our adoption. It was mm-hmm. more just like, oh my gosh, we're going to see our friends and hanging out. Mm-hmm. And Addie and I, I don't think, started really talking about our adoption until almost high school, mm-hmm. I feel like.
1: Mm-hmm. It was just
0: not something that we was in the front of our minds, especially when we only saw each other once a year, and right, it's really hard for us to keep in touch after, you know, having all of our separate lives and we're scattered all across the United States. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Addy, you wanna
2: Yeah, yeah. So um I think sorry, could you repeat the question I was just Yeah, trying.
1: sure. No worries. <laughs> like did having that adoption group oh yeah. kind of, you know, help help you in processing being an adoptee?
2: Mm-hmm. Um I think I agree a lot with what Lippy said because I don't think pre high school I was really so keen on talking about the adoption. It was kind mm-hmm. of something I wanted to like throw behind me and ignore as much as I could. But mm-hmm. then, you know, as like high school starts happening, I'm realizing, okay, well, I can't ignore it. So I guess I'm just going to deal with it. Mm. And having Libby and like the rest of the group, just as other adoptees in my life, it kind of normalized the situation and it didn't make me feel so alienated. And I like right. to say that I think for parents to make an effort to keep the kids in contact with each other. As much as they could, I think that was probably one of the best things they did for us, so that we did have a community, even though it wasn't necessarily in our hometowns, but there were people.
1: Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like um, you, you know, it was something you didn't want to deal with until until high school?
2: Um, I think because I grew up in a really white town. I think like a lot of adoptees. Yep. And so I just kind of wanted to blend in. I went through a point in middle school where it's like, I was figuring out, it's like, okay, I'm Asian American, but what does that mean? I had some Asian American friends, but their parents had immigrated from various countries in Asia. Mm -hmm. So it was a slightly different situation. And I wanted to not necessarily be like them, but be accepted by them as an, like, a like a non-adopted Asian. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to put that into words. (laughs) I wanted to be accepted by that, by the Asian American community who wasn't adopted. Right. And so I guess leaving middle school realities hit and I was like, I'm not like that. And I just need to accept it and be okay with it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Libby, did you feel like the same when you got to high school?
2: Yeah, I think, well, I
0: think part of it is we have a bigger Asian community here in Oregon, Mm -hmm. but it's mainly, surprisingly, it's mainly Japanese because we have like a sister city in China, I guess. I don't know like the whole history on it. Mm. Um, But we do have a huge Japanese population over here. And we had this program at my school called the JMP. It was the Japanese magnet program where second generation Japanese or any other people but a lot of it was like second generation Japanese would take these classes be in like learn about the culture learn about you know how to speak the language and I was never in that I was in Spanish Mm -hmm. and people would always be like why are you not in the JMP because you're Asian right so all the other Asians were and I was like well first of all I'm not Japanese it's not like I don't want to learn and embrace the culture but it's not you know specifically something that I was super interested in that at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I didn't wanna be put in a box where I didn't feel like I belonged because I was already struggling being kind of one, one of the few Chinese Asians there. Yeah. Um, um, but I don't think I had as hard of a time embracing it because I at least had more people around me that were Asian even if I wasn't really friends with them or anything.
1: Right. But
0: it was definitely easier than being in like a full whitewash place. Which is crazy because like at my work right now I'm the only Asian. It definitely (laughs) feels weird. It feels really weird. Mm. But
2: and I think too growing up, Libby took the adoption a lot like less hard than I did. I was a lot more upset and I guess you could say negative about it. I was really I think like variations of like sad, angry, confused, frustrated. And then Libby in contrast. Well I don't want to speak for, but like she wasn't feeling the same way.
0: Yeah, we definitely have really well, it was in high school when we were first really starting to go into this, mm-hmm. it was completely opposite sides of the spectrum, like almost extremists mm-hmm. where we were just like, Addie was upset, and I was kind of just like, I don't, I
1: don't feel upset. Mm-hmm. I don't feel unhappy about this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. And and how is it? I mean, I mean it's been, you know, years after, but yeah. I'm assuming that you you know you sort of met in the middle a little bit more as you talked and over time, mm-hmm. um, how did that like how did that start in high school? Like, did one of you just go up to the other and was like, okay, mm-hmm. hey, I need to talk about adoption. You're the only person I know. Like, who? Like, how did that whole like conversation begin? I
2: don't
0: know. I, I think, think it. I honestly think it was Addie because despite yeah. me being more okay with it and more open about it and less angry about it. Mm-hmm. Addie is the one that actually showed me the whole like adoptee community. She started uh. showing me like the, the groups and she's the one that kind of was like, hey, there's a
2: there's a Facebook group here. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. Um, I think I needed somebody to talk to about it and Libby was like easiest to access. Right. And also we had like yeah. a lot, of, we've shared a lot of experiences together. We kind of like, we didn't grow up together, but we grew up with each other in our lives.
1: Right. So There's already that trust yes.
2: there.
1: Got it. How did your parents react? Or is that even, did you even loop them in on what you were going through and what you were processing in terms of, you know, who you were at the time? Are you both transracial adoptees?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did your parents react? I've had, you know, uh, all, all the people I've interviewed have had a spectrum of of mm-hmm. how open their parents were to not so much. So I'm just, I'm just curious.
2: Um, my parents were, they they never like shut down adoption conversations, but mm-hmm. they also never really helped facilitate them, I guess mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Because I think too, when I was younger, I just, the things I was going through, I didn't realize that maybe was adoptee related. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, a lot of it, like dealing with racism, dealing with bullying, stuff like that. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it I was navigating on my own, but I didn't necessarily share it with them because I don't think I knew how to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, now with the whole podcast, they they both listen to the podcast. They're pretty supportive, I would say. Um, I think I'm definitely very lucky with how open my parents are with this whole thing because I think I do, on AMW, I do openly criticize things about, adoptive parents and I think I'm really appreciative for my of my parents for taking it in stride and not being like how could you say this like x (laughs) y and z we've done this and that for you and like now you're just angry and fury, whatever but so I'm thankful for Heather they're dealing with it
1: nice yeah definitely Mm -hmm.
2: yeah
0: I think um I mean my my parents were always open about my adoption because I mean there's no way that you could lie about it or anything Mm -hmm. but if something happened at school um like there was one time in third grade this kid he was so nice he was trying to be really nice but he said I'm sorry you're adopted Mm -hmm. and my teacher like totally lashed out on him and I can Mm -hmm. understand why she did and like I had so many mixed emotions when that had happened but I don't remember ever going to my parents about it because I was just like what are they gonna do Mm um yeah my parents have always been like if you ever want to find your birth family we can help you I've just been the one that's kind of been like "Eh, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that Mm -hmm. um but I think it's definitely been like depends on it depends on how the year is going because my parents my parents both definitely have mental health issues and they both definitely have massively different swings on the spectrum and it's hard sometimes sometimes i'll be really open and i can talk to them about it and then sometimes it's just not not an option but i think throughout my childhood i've been comfortable with their level of openness because mm-hmm. it's been about the same that i've been comfortable i've never been like oh i really wish i could talk to them about this or not or yeah i really wish i didn't talk about this and then they did or something
1: mm. hmm uh how, is that how is that how still how you feel today in terms of sort of lukewarm uh, feelings about searching for birth relatives, doing heritage or not heritage, but you know doing I don't know quote unquote homeland trips or something? Um, how do you both feel about that now as you know like adults?
2: Um. Well, so Libby and I, back in 07, we took a trip back to China. Wow. Huge tour group. Like, we had neon yellow shirts, like the matching backpacks. (laughs) And so we did one of those tours. And we were only, how old were we? Like, nine,
0: I think? I was 10. So you must have been right 9, 10.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was after fourth grade, going into fifth grade. And so I think, looking back, I'm glad I did that trip. I think I wish now we could have done it maybe when I was in middle school or high school and with a smaller group mm. because this was it was like what it felt like 20 families or something
0: oh my gosh it mm-hmm. was huge and was we were always constantly doing things mm, yeah. we'd be like in bed by 10 11 and
2: out by seven mm. yeah yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of a whirlwind so I think I definitely want to look to going to China soon in like the next couple of years when the world calms down a little bit mm-hmm.
1: um
2: but I'm glad I went and we. I think it's something that was good and we got to go back and see our orphanage you did yeah
1: yeah how was that experience I've never done it so it's really interesting for me to hear how other adoptees experience that mm-hmm. uh that trip it was
2: intense I think I know like that night after we did because like we went and then we got a tour of the orphanage and then we had dinner, I think with the, or lunch with the director or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that night, Libby and I were just hanging out in the hotel and I got like really sick. I think I had like 104 fever. Like I was just down. So I think
1: yeah, like
2: dealing with all of that was a lot on my body emotionally and mentally. Yeah. So I got sick from it. I don't know. Libby,
0: yeah Addie, a little better
2: <laughs> yeah
0: so like the whole thing I she was she definitely wasn't feeling well and then while we were sitting at lunch I remember her just getting like really sick and mm-hmm. we we didn't start analyzing it until we started the podcast and mm-hmm. we were talking about like is this the way that your body was trying to handle maybe trauma and mm-hmm. like being too young mm-hmm. to really understand what was going on yeah um, or was it a stomach ache? I just yeah <laughs> right right or there was it go. because she like ate some food that wasn't properly washed or something mm-hmm. but um yeah when I went back in 2007 I don't remember a lot of it I just remember being really weirded out I didn't really under. I don't think I understood exactly what was happening mm-hmm. but then I went back in 2018 and that was that was a it was really like interesting but I felt like a mess
1: yeah
0: like being like a lot of the kids there now are you know because they have some kind of birth defect or
1: yeah
0: abnormality and it's so hard to see that and I was not prepared for that definitely I Mm. was that was yeah really difficult for me but Mm. I'm I'm glad I went back
1: yeah but
0: yeah. Would I go back again? Probably not. Right. But I'm glad I was able to like do it over.
1: Wow. Yeah. I I remember uh now that you say that, like 2018, um, because the one child policy had ended like what 2015, three yeah. years before or something like I remember that. that. Yeah. Um that kind of like made this whole shift happen from you know, like kids and babies in orphanages that didn't have birth defects or, you know, um, special needs to all of a sudden being the only kind of children in orphanages uh, yeah. because the, like, families didn't have to, would, like, keep their, this sounds bad, but, like, keep their healthy children because yeah, they weren't yeah. forced to like give them up because the ch- the policy was over. So yeah, I definitely remember hearing reports about like adoptees and even not adoptees. I don't know how you, I mean, not that, I don't know how you would kind of stumble across an orphanage accidentally, but <laughs> um, just kind of being shocked because that hadn't used, that wasn't the way it was before.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Interesting. Wow. How do you, did it, did it, like, what kind of questions, if any, came to mind during your time there? Because I'm thinking about all the movies on adoptee uh, journeys, like back to the country they were adopted from. And I can only imagine kind of what questions run through your mind. When you're in that situation, did either of you experience like, oh, what if this had been my life? What if I hadn't been adopted? What if? I don't know. I, I guess I'm asking what comes after the what if part.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first? How Do you want to start?
1: Oh, OK, oh, I'll I go first. Start. Um. Oh, OK. You go. <laughs>
2: <You> go, go. <laughs> you um,
0: I think part of the reason why I've been so calm about my like or po- more positive about it is when i look back and i i say well what if i wasn't adopted then my options are really kind of at least the way i see it is orphanage life and mm-hmm. obviously that wouldn't be mm-hmm. superior to what i have now mm-hmm. but it wasn't until i started doing the podcast with addie that i was like you know, I'm starting my what if questions at the orphanage, but what if I started the question with my birth family and my birth mom, and I go actually further back, right. And I say, this is my parents situation. This is what they were in, like, whatever that would have been. What if from that point, then I start looking into the branches of, you know, I what school would I have gone to or would I have been middle lower class or that kind of thing and I hadn't explored that but I lost my train of thought um regardless <laughs> I don't know I usually just I I don't know I'm trained myself I guess to think what if I was in the orphanage and then that just is kind of like well that's obviously not better mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um I think I'm a little bit I think I always, I think I talked about my birth parents before Libby would, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to have information just before maybe Libby was ready for information, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so I started asking those questions. I think my questions were more starting at the birth parent versus the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the difference there, though.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you feel, let that remind, I I agree. I start mine, I think at the birth parents, not the Mm -hmm. orphanage, although it never occurred to me to start them at the orphanage. So that's an interesting Mm -hmm. sort of thought exercise. Do either of you experience, I think we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but I try not to like stick too much to just Mm -hmm. the past stuff. So going back to the present these days, especially in covid Maybe even especially because there's been a rise in violence against Asian Americans, do either of you feel like what I've been calling, you know, the authenticity dilemma, where uh, you, I mean, basically you don't feel like Chinese, but you also don't feel white as in white, the
2: mm-hmm. culture
1: and the privilege that you've grown up in. And how do you how do you handle and resolve that that dilemma within yourselves?
2: Um, so, for me, I think I definitely feel that. I feel like just inside my body looking out, I feel white. Mm-hmm. But then when I look in the mirror, I'm like, or oh, see a photograph of me with a group of friends, I'm like, oh, I'm Asian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like,
0: That's
2: kind of a big detail. And so, I think there's always been that feeling of being in between. Yeah. Um, I've been having this conversation a little bit more, but it's like being accepted by the Asian American community who aren't made up of adoptees. Right. And I think I battle with that a lot because I have a couple of friends who are Asian American, but they are raised by immigrant parents. Yeah. But she has never like once had a moment where she was like, made, where she made me doubt my Asianness and yeah. my ideas oh. of holding that identity, which I think has been really um, helpful. And also right. like after meeting her, she taught me a lot about how to talk about being Asian American and my experiences Mm,
1: how to talk about being Asian American
2: Mm -hmm. because I didn't really know like it wasn't until I met her and it's Jing and Vicky so they were on a podcast a little bit ago okay but they are both very like outspoken individuals yeah Jing is an adoptee Vicky's not and we met in Peace Corps so it's like even tinier Asian population yeah very niche And Mm. so we kind of had to end up leaning on each other for support, especially when COVID started hitting, because like right before the evacuation, because it was just like a whole different experience that we were feeling. And so we had to, like, I had to talk about it. They had to talk about it. So through listening to them, I learned.
1: Yeah. Wow. It never occurred to me to think about how to talk, how, like, like about, I mean, I don't even know, like, how to talk about being Asian American. Yeah, and... I just didn't know how to verbalize wow. it. Yeah,
2: because really I feel like adoptees, interracial adoptees, we like have to figure out how to do that on our own.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that clearly now yeah. because <laughs> it didn't know, occur right to now. me. <laughs> um, Libby, how about you? How like how do you handle uh, the you know the authenticity dilemma?
0: Yeah. So when I was you know, still in school, I definitely felt every time someone would bring up that I'm not white, mm-hmm. it would jolt me because like I'm surrounded, my whole family is white. And I just it's not something where I am constantly like, right, I'm Asian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and whenever someone has, I don't know. Um, it wasn't until I met my, my husband now. That I really started getting into, like, the Asian community, the Mm non-adoptee, like, I call them the real Asian, but I know that's not right, but, like, (laughs) whatever.
1: That's Um, okay. People will be able to understand what what you mean.
0: Yeah, so, like, when I started meeting him, his whole group is, you know, have either lived in China and came here for school, or Mm -hmm. their family immigrated from the country. Mm -hmm. They've had Mm -hmm. some kind of life in the country and then being an asian adoptee in that group is really what like triggered me (laughs) because they're they definitely have the stereotypical like almost like gatekeeping views and
2: Uh
0: um that's Mm. something that like i've talked to him for the last five years about and like he still has those times where sometimes he'll when the situation is right he'll be like no you are chinese and then when other times he'll be like no you don't know anything you're not mm-hmm. part of the culture you're are American and I'm like mm-hmm. you can't flip-flop just mm-hmm. because it suits your needs at the moment yeah like like mm-hmm. it's not fair and that's something that I still go over with him a lot of like how like his views on my racial identity and my cultural identity yeah um are yeah i still like will say like hey (laughs) that's not fair for you to say that i don't know chinese pop culture because a you're not teaching me about it and b like i just uh, i don't know but it's something that i definitely like have firsthand like experience with almost daily because his two best friends are also born raised chinese Mm -hmm. um only came here for school actually one of them still in Singapore. But, like, their views are also the same as his towards, like, American adoptees. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like me trying to educate them and them trying to educate me back. And then us, sometimes we come to an impasse. and Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I chose
1: this life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to say I think it is important that, you know, we don't, we as in you know the the not real air quotes uh, Asians mm-hmm. which i think is important to to not filter out because that like no matter how like pc or not pc it is i think that is an important like reality that we live with and maybe not everyone who is adopted or asian or none of the above agree with that terminology but it's still something that is experienced and I don't think that I mean I think it's good to kind of shed light on that and acknowledge sure maybe this isn't like this isn't a reflection on actually on how I treat other people or anything but it is mm-hmm. something that I or you or we or us live with on an everyday basis so mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that so where do you think you both are right now you know in terms of your identity Um,
2: I think for me, I, I think I, I identify as Asian American or Mm -hmm. Chinese American, but below that, I think like there's part of me that really loves Central American culture because I speak Mm -hmm. Spanish. I spent time in Guatemala. I, so there's part of me that really, I don't want to say identifies with it because I'm not Guatemalan, but there's a part of me that really loves that part of the world and that culture mm-hmm. um, just because like experiences I've had there and I think too, um being adopted and trying to connect with the Asian culture and Chinese culture it's really difficult for me because I yeah. feel like there's this oh I'm Chinese I'm supposed to know the culture and mm. so it for me it makes it really difficult to first of all want to connect to the culture and also like to actually go about connecting to the culture. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's that imposter syndrome. Right. It's like, I'm not Asian enough.
1: I'm not X, right. Y, and Z enough. Mm-hmm. Right. I just interviewed someone um, who is adopted from Guatemala. That's very oh, really? interesting.
2: Yeah. I just got a message from someone who's adopted from Guatemala. Maybe.
1: Oh, how funny. Yeah. Maybe it's the same person. I wonder, yeah. <laughs> um, that's really neat. Uh, Libby, how about you? Uh, just because I, I thought of the question because we were talking about, you know, being real Asian versus not and Mm -hmm. how that ties into one's identity complex and so you know how do you how would you say that ties into your identity and who you are right now
0: yeah um well before I met my husband I definitely felt like just straight up good old American and (laughs) I didn't really feel like Chinese American Mm -hmm. because I didn't really have access or like knowledge of any really of my Chinese part Mm -hmm. but now that I'm with him I feel definitely more like Chinese I still identify as Chinese American but I've definitely learned more about the culture embraced more of it trying to learn Chinese Mm -hmm. so now I definitely have you set me down in a room I would definitely feel more Chinese than just straight white American Mm -hmm. um which I appreciate I really I really like being able to embrace the culture more especially when it's on my own terms Mm -hmm. and I feel like now that I have my husband he and if he says something that bugs me or whatever I just put him in his place and it makes me feel great and it makes me feel like, a strong Chinese woman, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I definitely feel, like, very
2: Chinese-American. Mm-hmm. I think, too, since Libby got married, yeah, um, because, like, we call it, we're, like, we call each other sisters, so uh-huh. yeah, say. um, so I think, especially when they got married, it's made me want to connect to the culture a little bit more, mm-hmm. because I know it's going to be a big part of Libby's life, right, and so, naturally I want it to be something that's part of my life so I'm like a little more leaning into it I Mm -hmm. think as much as I can Mm -hmm. Um, and she's never like pressured me like oh you need to do x y and z Blah, blah, blah. but it's very much on my terms but it's something that I want to do because if she decides to have children in the future I want to be a part of that and if they're doing certain things maybe in China or like they're celebrating something I want to make sure that I can be a part of it as much as I can
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah I don't want to be
2: like not outside of it, but i want I don't want it to be something that is too difficult for me to the point where I can't just embrace it and be part of whatever's going on,
1: right yeah, yeah. that's a i mean that's a good friend and also well said <laughs> um, interesting. I'd never thought about it in that way mm-hmm. before, like if I had a a friend who yeah. got married and you know, and because I feel also. Very disconnected to anything Asian, and it's yeah. funny I say that with like Asian art on the
2: wall behind <laughs> oh me, <laughs> God, I got this thing behind me.
1: <laughs> um, but I feel very disconnected, and I actually don't think if it wasn't for the podcast in helping me grow in my own identity, I don't yeah. think I would have the, this Asian art up on the wall. I think even that has been. Um, progress for me yeah. in terms it feels of like
2: a lot for me it's like yeah
1: totally like kind accepting
2: yeah.
1: and acknowledging and embracing yeah that Asian side but I never thought about it like if um, like if I had a Chinese best friend and yeah. they got married and had kids and how would I make sure that I could be a part Maybe. of Maybe. Yeah. their their Chineseness that's an interesting mm-hmm. that's an interesting yeah thought. yeah I don't Um, think that, I think if I didn't meet him, I probably would be
0: exactly where I was before and I wouldn't mm. really care or wouldn't really try to embrace it at all. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They wouldn't
0: have the means to, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it would have been a different, definitely a different
1: branch of life. Well, I know that, Libby, I know that you said a little bit before about sometimes it'll be, oh, you won't understand because you're not Chinese or not Asian or not not Chinese, but also you are Chinese sometimes. Do you feel like like he your husband accepts your adoption? Um or, not, or I, not really? I don't know.
0: I feel like it definitely depends. Cause like when I went so when I went back in twenty eighteen, it was to meet the family, all of his family.
1: And oh, all of them okay. are in
0: China. Oh not got it. one his mom like only speaks like five words in English. But When I was back there, I was told, like, not to talk about my adoption. Don't mention it. Don't bring it up. It was definitely, like, taboo. Not something that they wanted to say at all. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that must be, like, ingrained in him. Yeah, I I just think the view of adoption in, like, actually in China Mm -hmm. is fear and shame. Yeah. And not something to be, you know, brought up. Huh. but yeah it's definitely been something that we've had to work on mm-hmm. like not only him but like me as well to, f- right. to see where he's coming from we got into an argument this morning about it so it's not like <laughs> it's definitely mm-hmm. there it's present and it doesn't yeah. help too that like now he's living with my mom and he can kind of see I don't know like the stuff that I go through right and because we're all living under the same roof right now,
1: which is just right. great. But <laughs> <laughs> I never like when I was little. I never envisioned myself with an Asian man. I neither did like, I. <laughs> <laughs> I was very exclusively into like white boys. Um, yes. <laughs> who knows whether that was like deep, deep suppression of anything Asian. Mm-hmm. It probably was. Um, but yeah, I am always interested how it, how the, the, the imposter syndrome, the authenticity dilemma works in relationships where you end up, your partner ends up being from the country you were adopted from, because you're both from, from, you know, quote unquote, the same country, but Mm -hmm. culturally so different. And I, I was always, I always wondered what, how, how that, you know, was reconciled. So that's really interesting to hear. I think you're definitely right. I've I'm assuming, I guess, that in China the whole like early 90s during the one child policy and everything is relatively like shameful part in their history, so it makes sense that it wouldn't be something that they enjoy talking about.
0: Yeah, I don't know like the whole background about it at all. I was just they were like just don't talk about it with the family, but they also were the ones that took me down to the orphanage and they toured it with me. So it's very like she so want a second. I don't know time. if it's just a him thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's just like a his family thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I doubt it, but I don't know. I guess it's like fine when you're far enough away from the situation, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I don't. I don't actually think any of his family, except for his mom and dad, know that I'm adopted.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. But well, I think there's like, I mean. Adoptees, from what I've gathered, spend a lot of their lives dealing with their own shame around being adopted, maybe they were unwanted or mm-hmm. just shame from all kinds of different things. Um, but I think it shame as a collective in terms of China feeling ashamed of having this period in their history
2: mm-hmm. is
1: a little bit more specific And exclusive only to China because, Mm -hmm. in with Japanese, Korean, Japanese adoptees or Korean adoptees that I've talked to, those countries handled adoption very differently. Really open, they all have a lot more information. The adoptees that I've talked to about where they came from, who their birth family was, what their situation was, and then it seems to be a common thing for Chinese adoptees that I talked to where nobody knows anything Mm -hmm. um, because it was such like a swept under the rug type thing. Definitely.
0: When I went back, I was expecting more paper.
1: Huh. Like more paperwork that you could look at and see.
0: Yeah. It was literally just everything that I had already seen. There was like one extra document and the file was literally just like this big. Yeah. It was so tiny. They like just didn't, yeah. I don't know if it's different now, but I definitely like, there was nothing really.
2: And did they say how long they kept those records? Like after 20 years, did they get rid of them or do they just? Mm I have no idea.
1: Wow. Well, I think that's reflective in, like when I was doing research for the podcast, I realized Mm -hmm. that in America, there's no like public centralized database for adoptees. Uh, like there are for specific foster to adopt. There are first private adoption companies, you know, that do it because they're a private business, yeah. but there's no like federal national public record of adoptee incoming adoptees to the U S. So it would be impossible if one of us were, was wondering, oh, you know, like the majority of adoptees were, bet- were in this age group. Yeah. Um, like we wouldn't be able to find that out in terms of like having one place where all of the adoption data is aggregated.
2: Do other countries do that? Do you
1: know? Yeah. Well, from what I have heard in my other interviews, mm-hmm. um, Australia does that. Oh. So Australia has like a, a, one centralized place where you can find all, like all the data on incoming adoptees like a
2: public central database right
1: exactly that like you don't need to be you know part of a private institution or something to look at and especially with the past election that just happened Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: everything it's so apparent to me now i think in a way that it wasn't before that if you're not counted you don't count yeah and so that was really interesting to me to discover that in this specific part of my identity, like, am I counted? I don't know. How do you you feel the country is in terms of normalizing the idea of adoption and everything? Obviously podcasts like mine and like Adoptee Meets World are doing a lot of good in that area, but in a more general public way, how do you both feel about adoption normalization in America?
2: I think it has a long way to go I don't think Mm -hmm. we're like anywhere close just because I mean there's still people like walking around joking whether someone's like oh haha you're adopted mom dad just didn't tell you Mm -hmm. and that could be like a bicker and it's like or that TikTok trend
1: what TikTok trend
2: the
0: one where it's like um like I think they there are a couple where one is this the parent will be like just lifting the phone showing their kid they're like why does my kid do this you must be adopted or oh, yeah, the, one. the one where it's huh. like siblings like the siblings are convincing their other sibling that they're adopted mm-hmm. they're not really they're part a of the family joke.
2: and it's like uh-huh. that kind
0: of thing yeah.
2: yeah i wasn't aware of those uh-huh okay yeah so i think like with that just as one of the examples i think we have a long way to go um, mm. yeah <laughs>
1: Have any of you experienced like blatant racism because of COVID?
2: I did in Guatemala. Oh. Not in the States. Hmm. In the States I've like pretty much just stayed in, like a five mile radius. Right. Um, but I think in Guatemala, because we were we were notified of the evacuation on March 15th, 2020. Okay. And so like between March 15th and like the next day, it was like a Sunday to a Monday. I just like went to the city center to just get a few things, like go to the ATM, get a couple things of food or whatever, take care of logistical things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was with a couple of my site mates and I'm really thankful for them because they were aware, like, just, you know, like when you're in a different area, you want to just be watching your back, you know? Yeah. Um, but they, like my one friend, she, like actually we had just grabbed like some food and we she moved us to a different part because she noticed people like looking at me and snickering Mm. and so I didn't in that instance I didn't notice it but she told me she's like hey those people are like snickering like let's move away and so I think Mm. in that moment i was really appreciative because she didn't have to do that she didn't even have to notice it um but that's that's the instance I can think of Mm. and so it wasn't blatant racism but it was like oh she's Asian she's got coronavirus you know
1: how about you Libby
2: anything I think it's hard to tell like
0: I think it's hard to tell what is racism and what is people being scared because mm. part of my job especially at the height of this was mm. to um, deliver cars to people's homes and okay. then pick up our loaner vehicles and that would have to do with interacting with people at their home and there were some times where I couldn't tell if they were just scared in general, or if they were scared because it was an Asian girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's only the one that I can think of the most is I was on the public transit and this guy was just sitting. There were like a couple other people in the cab and this guy was just sitting there and, um, I walked past him to go sit because I always sit right next to the driver because I'm a scary cat and I feel much safer if I'm up there. Mm-hmm. And so I walked up there to the very front, sat down. I like looked around just so I knew who was around me, um, made dead ass eye contact with this guy and he just flipped his mask on and turned the other way. Mm. And like, I was just like okay there were like five other people in this whole cab and it was me that triggered you to put your mask on Mm -hmm. I mean whatever you have a mask on so I'm fine but it just it bugged the living crap out of me Mm. but yeah I don't know if what I saw or people I interacted with um if it was just fear of racism, because it's, it's just so hard to tell when something so major is going on, because I can understand people being scared
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and like me delivering their cars and then making sure they're all wiped down and stuff. Like if they ask me, what exactly did you do to disinfect the car? That could just very well be them being scared because of COVID or that mm-hmm. very well could be because this Asian girl drove their car home. Mm. You know, I don't know. Wow.
2: I didn't think about that
1: yeah that's I mean that's yeah that's tough
2: yeah I get nervous too because like where I am in PA it's like there's like a little city Mm -hmm. it's a small city but sorry that's my dog that's okay Um, but around I get nervous because give me a minute no worries what was I saying oh so I where I am in PA it's kind of like city but then there's also super rural Mm. and Sometimes like from at the grocery store at at Home Depot and I see somebody who has maybe a more stereotypical looking country kind of truck, I associate it with maybe more conservative views. And so then I get really nervous. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And I don't want to be like stereotyping, but at the same time, there's a lot going on right now in our world. I think the country's extremely divided mm-hmm. and I don't want to be in a position where I'm in danger. Yeah but I hate that I'm stereotyping.
1: Yeah. It's, it's between a rock and a hard place really. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, that's a reductive statement, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it really is. Well, I mean, hopefully this crazy time we won't be living. Well, actually I always say that. I always say, hopefully after, you know, COVID is over and the world is, you know, not in a pandemic anymore you know maybe it'll it'll change but i was i was talking with a different person in a different interview and they made a really good point and basically said well i think the hate has always been there yeah i just think it's now Mm -hmm. now they have like an excuse um and a a way to deliver that hate in a in Mm -hmm. a more streamlined way because of what's happening and the politics and everything in the world so it probably really won't won't go back to normal in that sense after all because yeah. I think kind of once it's out of the bag you know once it's you can't mm-hmm. put the toothpaste back in the tube as they yeah. say <laughs> yeah and
2: like once you notice people doing racist things like it's really hard to for me personally at least like to want to forgive them and also like take the emotional energy to educate them and then yeah Sometimes just talking to them like you can't make people believe something different unless they want to. Yeah. So it's exactly. It's yeah.
1: Definitely. Well, ending on a happier note, thinking <laughs> back to <laughs> when life was more simple and we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to close each interview by asking if you could tell your younger self one thing about self-love acceptance in relation to identity what do you think you would tell her
2: I think for me like I'd want to tell myself like maybe you're not maybe you're shy and like quiet or not as outspoken now but later you'll be able you'll like find ways to speak up for yourself speak up for yourself um share your voice and you know, I'll find my sp- I'll find my spot in the corner of the world where I'm happy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think that's something that everybody sometimes that people never find it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and
1: so I think that's great advice.
2: Thank you.
1: What about you, Libby? Um, I would say
0: that um, probably just like, like don't let anybody dictate your own journey on finding yourself. I if I feel good when I the fact that I have never been pressured to find my culture or my Mm -hmm. identity Mm -hmm. and no one's kind of throwing it in my face at all I've definitely had the time to process it and think about it and then you know open up when I'm ready to Mm -hmm. open up Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I've had such a positive experience being able to open up toward the culture yeah so yeah Mm -hmm. go at your own
1: pace (laughs) I think that's really good advice as well. I I mean even for people who are not adopted, I think yeah. you know, there's so much pressure like oh because your family or your parents were like a certain way that you have to be a certain way too and like mm-hmm. carry that on um even if maybe that's not what you want. So I think that's great advice too um even if you're not adopted. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and being here. Don't forget that Addison and Libby have their own podcast called Adoptee Meets World, which you can find on Instagram and all the social media at-
2: At Adopting Meets World underscore. And then we also have an email, which is at, or sorry, just Adoptee Meets World at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. Those places, I will also have it linked In the post that corresponds to this episode on my own Instagram as well. Once again, thank you both so much for being here and thanks for having us. Oh, of course. (laughs) Um, And thanks everyone for tuning in. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted Now What, hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.